All right. Well, first, thank you uh, all for allowing me the opportunity to preach this morning to fill in for Pastor Ben. Um, I have a little survey real quick to ask. How many of you have heard a sermon from the book of Haggai? Let's see. Two hands raised. All right. Well, after today, all of you can raise your hands. <clears throat> so if you, but first, I'm going to give you page numbers for Ezra because we're going to use scripture to give commentary on scripture. So Ezra, uh, page 30, 362 in your Pew Bible. And then for um, Haggai, we're, I think we're on page 743. If I was going to give a title for this sermon, is is how to live for the Lord after coming out of exile. In Haggai, we see that that God is sovereign and he remains the same. That is in his worship, in his glory, and in his covenant. In God's mercy, he brings Judah out of exile in order to, to establish his glory once again. We also see that the people of God are the same. Namely, they're sinful and rebellious. They still struggle with believing, therefore they struggle with obeying. A summary sentence, if you will. In Haggai, God maintains his covenant faithfulness while calling his people to worship him through obedience. That is, God maintains his covenant faithfulness while calling his people to worship him through obedience. For the people, coming out of exile wasn't so easy. Habits formed while in Babylon that weren't, they weren't easily shed in Jerusalem. In today's sermon, we will see the Lord confront his people, the Lord counsel his people, and the Lord encourage his people. Particularly for us, we are challenged, will we see our sinfulness? Will we consider our own ways? And will we worship the Lord by believing and obeying? There are a couple of questions I want to give to you to think of as we are going through this sermon this morning. What idols do I have in my life? I want you to ask yourself, what idols do I have in my life, and how is my lack of believing leading me to disobedience? So what idols do I have in my life, and how is my lack of believing leading me to disobedience? Let's pray before we get too far along in, into this this morning. Pray with me. Father God, we are asking you uh, to work in our midst this morning by your Holy Spirit. Lord, through your word, that you would bring conviction of our hearts and our minds. Lord, that we would be surrendered fully to you and that we would worship you as you deserve. Lord, that you would build your church for your glory forevermore. In Christ's name, amen. So hopefully you have found your place in Ezra, page 362, 
We're going to use that as, as commentary, kind of giving us the context of what's going on in the book of Haggai. The people of God have been in exile, in captivity, because of their covenant unfaithfulness. And God sovereignly has used Babylon as a rod of discipline. Now, if, if you were there on page 362, we see in chapters 1 through 6 the context of where we find ourselves in Haggai this morning. I'm going to read just a couple of verses from different chapters, just kind of leading us into where we find ourselves in chapter 1 of Haggai. So chapter 1, verse 2 says, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven has given me all kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build a house, him a house, at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all the people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he soldiers be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers of houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests of the Levites, everyone whose, whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares besides all that was freely offered. Now a hint here, what does that sound like? Does that sound like a familiar story where God is leading his people out? It's the Exodus. He, he provides gold from the Egyptians as they're going out, just as he does again here. And we must see that. In chapter 2, we see all the list of the people who came out of Babylon to go into Jerusalem and to rebuild the house. In chapter 3, uh, they built an offer to offer uh, an altar to offer burnt offerings on it according to the law of Moses. We see in verse 3, they set the altar in its place, for fear was upon them because of the peoples of the lands. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. The following verses describes how they practice these different festivals and appointed feasts. And then they laid the foundation of the temple. We see in a verse 11, they sing. They sing responsibly, responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever and ever. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because of the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now we get a little turn of events in chapter 4. We see the adversaries that were surrounding them in Judah. They wanted to work with them, but the, the people of Israel didn't allow them. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, until 
the reign of Darius. And even after this, they wrote letters to the king to convince him and persuade him that it was a bad idea for them to uh, be allowed to rebuild this temple. And the king, king was convinced. So by force and by power, we see in verse 23, he caused them to cease the building of the temple. Now we come to chapter 5. This is the same timeline of Haggai chapter 1. Haggai, uh, in your pew Bible, is page 743. I'm going to read chapter 1 for us. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is, a time, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. He who earns wages does so put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld to do. The earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills of the grain and the new wine and the oil and on the ground brings forth on man and beast and on their labors." Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord, their God, had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Je Joshua, the son of Je Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So we see from the very beginning very quickly, the Lord comes and confronts his people. We see this in verses 1 through 4. Now, the points this morning that are in your handout are written with a focus on the main character of the Bible, that is, the Lord. They're also written with God's people as the recipients 
of God's mercy and grace. God confronts his people. And we are to see that as a mercy and as his grace. We see here that it is the Lord of hosts who is doing the confronting. So what does this name mean, the Lord of hosts? Well, in the Hebrew, host in the Old Testament often means an army. It gives us a picture of God as a warrior. The expression Yahweh of hosts, as we see here in our passage, in the post-exilic, that is, after the exile, post-exilic literature is used mainly to emphasize the sovereignty of God. And particularly in the book of Haggai, the expression serves to remind the prophet's audience of God's transcendence and control over all human affairs. So the Lord of hosts, this warrior God who is sovereign over all, confronts the people. And he starts with the leaders. Zerubbabel, who is the governor, who is also of the line of David. And we'll get to that in chapter 2 next time. And he's, he starts with Joshua, who is the high priest. It's because these guys have the authority. Because of the authority that was given to them, they are held responsible for how the people are living and acting and serving the Lord. He goes on to confront the people by using their own words. The Lord of hosts also confronts the people, and he does so by communicating in their own words. In this little courtroom session, God defeats their argument by using them against them. Now, parents, we hate this when this happens to us, don't we? When our children remind us of the things that we have said. Here in verse 2 and 3, we see the people fail to remember that God is omnipresent. They fail to remember Psalm 139.7. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? God knew what they'd said. He didn't need an audio recording as evidence because he had heard it. So God confronts the leaders. God confronts the people using their own words. Now let's get into the messiness of why. Why was it necessary that the Lord of hosts confront his people? One of the most disappointing things about this situation is its context. They were coming out of captivity. That is God's judgment, God's discipline, and seemingly not having learned a thing. It would seem that during their Babylonian captivity, they had forgot that God desired to be worshipped, and that according to his word. The sovereign Lord of hosts was to be glorified through his temple, as we see here in Haggai chapter 1, verse 8. In the way they responded in verse 2 by saying, it's not time, makes it clear that they had forgotten how they were to worship. They display a lack of spiritual understanding, namely the significance of the temple for worship and the temple as the presence 
of God. But in their statement, something even more disturbing is made clear. In their words, one can see the delusion of their thinking. Remember, these are the people who left Babylon under King Cyrus's authority to build the temple. And they actually had started building it. But originally they stopped because of their fear. And that's purposely why I wanted to read Ezra. Because they started building the altar. And immediately after it says, in fear of the people. And then, after the letters were written, they stopped because of the power and influence of the king and because they feared the surrounding peoples. They had started building, but originally stopped for fear of those around them and for fear of the king. And their fear of others was so, so much greater than their fear of God. But what kept them from picking back up the hammer and the trial to build again? Simply put, it was their worship of self. So instead of building the temple to worship the Lord, they built their own houses and worshiped themselves. Do you remember one of the themes that we mentioned earlier in Haggai is the people are the same. They were like their forefathers who were led to Babylon, and they were like their forefathers, forefathers who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And they were like their father, Adam. We can go all the way back to Genesis with this misplaced worship. They began to do what their father, Adam, had done in the garden. They worship themselves rather than the Creator. In verse 4, the Lord asks this penetrating question and reveals their selfish idolatry. He asks this question, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while my house lies in ruins? See, they had prioritized their house over the house of God. They had postponed obedience. Their postponed obedience was not simply that they abandoned building the temple because of their self-presentation, but they had ultimately abandoned God. And the fruit of their actions comes from the fruit, or the root, excuse me, of their hearts. The fruit of their actions come from the root of their hearts. The failure to continue to build back the temple demonstrates that they were still living as if they were in exile. So church, you must understand, just as God confronted his people who were brought out of exile, he will do the same for you and for me. God is sovereign and he is the same over your life and my life and the life of his church. He will confront our sinfulness. So brother, sister, do we sound like them? 
How often do we live as if we are still in exile, as if we are still under the bondage of sin? How often do we forfeit God's word and his promises and trust in man's thinking, our own thinking, and only find ourselves in deeper, the, the deeper pit of despair? We run around like orphan children who have no father. We run around like illegitimate children who have a father but have no rights to his blessings. How often do we forfeit God's presence in our own lives because of our disobedience? How often do we live as if we are still under the bondage and captivity of sin? Probably more often we want to admit. When we forfeit the peace and hope of God for anxiety, for fear, then we are truly living as we have no God and that we are still in bondage. How often do we worship other things instead of God? Has comfort, has comfort become our king? Has your house become more important than God? Oh, brother and sister, please hear the counsel of the, the Lord to his people. We see the Lord counsels his people in verses 5 through 11. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Twice the Lord of hosts calls them to consider their ways. He's, he's counseling them to consider how they are living. And why is that? It would seem that the people were ignorant of the correlation between their disobedience and their financial, personal, family, and community situations. Verse 6, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does, not, does so put them in a bag with holes. The Lord of hosts asked them to consider the futility of their actions and their lifestyle. They, their daily actions have become pointless, meaningless. Their desires were insatiable, never to be satisfied, only leaving them to want more. What we see here is the perpetual following of the carrot on the stick. It looks like it's in reach, but in reality, it's impossible to grasp. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. In verses 7 through 11, we see in this section, God counsels them by explaining his purpose, by giving them the explanation 
and rendering judgment. Verse 8, we see the purpose of why he's calling them to consider their ways. He says, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I might take pleasure in it and that I might be glorified, says the Lord. This is why he's calling them to build the house, is that he might have pleasure in it and that he might be glorified. And immediately following, he explains again the futility of their life. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. There again, you see the sovereign Lord of hosts. He is, he is leading them. He is teaching them. He is trying to, to discipline, get them to see the futility of their ways. He is the one bringing about their demise. And then the explanation of why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house, my house lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above, above you have withheld dew. The earth has withheld its produce, and I called for a drought on the land and the hills. The sovereign Lord is calling for the people to understand and to repent by showing them the futility of their lies and that the Lord is punishing them because they are not obeying. He is disciplining them because they are not building the temple. This reminds us of the parable of the two sons, that is, the prodigal son. The younger son demands from his father his portion of the inheritance. He goes and squanders it away, all of it, and he's left to eat from the pig trough. What he thought was going to be this grand idea, it never came to fruition. What looked promising never came to be. And for the people, what looked so promising to stop building a temple and to focus on themselves and their own homes it never really happened. God made sure of it because he's leading them back to himself. He's calling them to repentance. The God, God, the Lord of hosts, is as a father calling his people home. How might your life be similar? Are there things you are chasing but you never seem to be able to catch? Have you found your plans continue to end in a mess? Have you been chasing that perpetual carrot but can't seem to reach it? Now let me give a caveat here. 
Not all of our woes are the Lord disciplining us. Not everything that we find ourselves struggling with is the Lord actually rebuking or disciplining. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. But for us who are kicking against the goats, who are striving against the Lord, these questions we must answer and we must struggle with them. May we consider our ways and how the Lord is calling us from our futile ways. Now the big question is in this book, how will the people respond? Will they obey? So we move to our third point. The Lord encourages his people. In verse 12, we see Zerubbabel, Jehozadak, and the people heard the voice of the Lord and they responded in obedience. Their act of obedience implies their repentance. They turned from building their house to building the Lord's house. And we also see in verse 12, something else happened. They feared the Lord. Their fear of others was replaced by a fear of the Lord. And this is no small thing. God had brought about a change in their lives. Verse 13. The Lord sees this and he gives a message to Haggai to tell them. The Lord encourages the people by reminding them that he is with them. He is with them. These words were previously said to Joshua. That is a different Joshua. Joshua, who is second in command to Moses. Do you remember? Be strong in the Lord. I am with you. Take courage, he tells Joshua. It, this all becomes even more clear in chapter 2 of Haggai, where the Lord says, be strong and I am with you. Nonetheless, the words of the Lord carry tremendous Blessing. They are words of God's covenant faithfulness. And we can trace this from Joshua now to the book of Haggai and even to Jesus when he says in Matthew 28, 20. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the Lord in his covenant faithfulness saying, I am with you. And the Lord, in verse 14, stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and Joshua and the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts. The people started again on building the temple. Their obedience was their act of worship. They had moved from self-worship to the worship of the Lord of hosts. They had moved from prioritizing their own comforts to giving God what he deserved. They moved from their deluded, even perverted spiritual understanding to rightly believing and obeying God's command. By building the temple, they worshiped the Lord through obedience, 
so that God would be glorified. Yet what they were building was earthly and physical. And just like the temple before this one, it would not stand forever. Why is that important to know? Ultimately, all of the temple buildings and obedience was leading to something greater. Chapter 2 helps us see this, but we must understand that the temple building is now even important for us. Even in this new covenant in Christ, temple building is worship and it is obedience. I'm going to read for us 1 Peter 13 through chapter 2, verse 5. All of what we said comes to light right here in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through chapter 2, verse 5. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile inheritance from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of imperishable seed, but but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass, and the grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted the the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Listen up here. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
That's exactly why temple building is important now. Because God, through Christ Jesus, is building up himself a temple again. And not of stone and brick and mortar, but of you who are called and redeemed by the blood of Christ. You are his church. You are his temple. But we are only built up in that we are submitting ourselves in obedience to the Lord as we grow up into that salvation as Peter preached. This is why we must consider our ways. This is why we must heed the counsel of the Lord. We should receive his, his rebuke as a mercy and as his love for us. We are like living stones being built up into God's church. But there may be one or there may be more of us, more of you here today that don't know this God. That don't know the voice of the Lord. That don't know the loving rebuke of a father. To you, I would, I would call you to listen up. That the Lord has loved you enough that he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and live on this earth. To live a perfect life. To die a death that you deserved as a sinner. But he became your substitute. He took your place and took on the wrath of God. And he also gave up something else. This great exchange have happened. He took your place, but he also gave you his righteousness that if you would repent and believe that you would stand righteous before God the Father, having trusted in his Son through repentance and faith. And if you do this, if you would only trust, you too would know this loving Father who confronts, who counsels, and who encourages. Do you remember those questions I asked you to think about? What idols do you have in your life? How is my lack of believing leading to my disobedience? Well, hopefully, hopefully, by the power of the Spirit, you've been able to identify some idols this morning. Like and like the people, hopefully God is leading you to repentance and you are there seeing the futility of your ways and trusting in God through believing. And hopefully you have seen the correlation of believing and obedience. Trust in the Lord this day and worship him in your obedience. Let us pray together and have a time of response. Father, we are blessed because of your word. We have received so much grace and mercy because you have given us your word. And you have given us your son in abundance, Lord. You have lavished mercy and grace upon us. Lord, would we hear you calling? calling us to yourself this morning. Lord, lead us 
to repentance, lead us into obedience, and lead us to grow up into your house that you may be glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.